Hello, and welcome to Table Talk Friday, your weekly dose of D&D hosted by three boys in a bedroom. If you like their style, you can follow them on Instagram, YouTube, and other social media platforms. And now, back to the boys. I've got an interesting story to yes. start this episode. Okay, go for it. Um, so I'm not sure if you were aware, but Joe Rogan delivers DoorDash. Does he really? <laughs> no, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> allow me to explain. Earlier today, I got Taco Bell from DoorDash. Uh, it, it, you know, not my proudest thing to just announce on the podcast, but I did. Um, it's not an infrequent occurrence in my okay, household, okay. but um, but in any case, I did. And the man who uh, who was at the door, he knocks, of course, because now they now they knock, they force you to hand it off to you for some reason. I pre- I much preferred it when they just left it on the doorstep. But anyway, the man knocks. I go to receive my Taco Bell, and that man is the spitting image of Joe Rogan. <laughs> I, I, I don't know much about Joe Rogan. I'm just gonna be honest, but. He had, if he was wearing a baseball cap, I feel like he would have been Joe Rogan in the flesh. But, I wonder if he gets that a lot. Yeah, maybe. But here's the kicker: I go back to the app and I think, I'm pretty sure that's Joe Rogan. And I check, <laughs> I check, and his name is Joe. <gasps> no. Oh my god. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was Joe Rogan. That's crazy. No, it, it, it couldn't have been him. Now, how do you know it wasn't him? How do you know Joe Rogan hasn't decided to take up the Lord's work delivering Taco Bell? In the Charlotte area, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's Uh, the good Lord's work right there. I mean, I'm not sure. So that's why I just want to uh, extend a formal invitation. Joe? If you're looking for a show to guest star on... (laughs) (laughs) You know, Talk Friday, a D&D podcast is available. Absolutely. And and I just want to let you know, that was some good Taco Bell. It, it, it got there in like 15 minutes. It was still hot. You, you know, know. Oh, well, no, you, no, know, you, know, know. you know. You know. You can go I first. Know. It's fine. I know that when you go to Taco Bell, if you want good, solid, warm tacos, you got to sit inside. I don't know what it is, but when you get door-dashed Taco Bell, it's crap. It's cold. It's mushy. It's weird. Usually, but it, so listen, our Taco Bell... The one that would DoorDash to us is the fucking worst. I have a story about this Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, so, so I agree with you 100%, and I will allow you to tell your story. Yeah, but yeah, lately, no, they've, been, first. they've been stepping up their game. So like the, the past three times, we'll say, that I got Taco Bell, it came hot. Everything that I ordered was there. They gave me some extra sauce. Like It, it, it was magical. It was a magical mm. Taco Bell experience. Not, speaking no shame on Taco Bell... Uh, Taco Bell, if you would like to sponsor Table Talk Friday, a D&D podcast, please be our guest. But but it was just, it, it was a magical once-in-a-lifetime Taco Bell experience, and it happened three times. Hmm. I went to a convention this weekend, <laughs> and Saturday morning, I was getting up to leave for said convention. I had to be there by 10 o'clock when the convention center opened so I could go get set up and then do my lap around like I always do and buy all the stuff I don't need. And then go back to my spot and DM a couple of sessions. I didn't make breakfast before I left. And I was thinking, like, this is my one chance to get some Taco Bell breakfast. Because I love Taco Bell breakfast. I, like, I don't eat a lot of fast food, guys. Anyone who's listening, I just don't eat a lot of fast food. 
And but I have spouted off for years. Anytime someone mentions breakfast, I'm like, yo, just go get some Taco Bell because Taco Bell breakfast is great. Uh, I ate it a lot in high school. That's why I know. And I I open the mobile app, go ahead and put in my order, you know, just thinking, ah, I'll get ahead of the game so I can get back on the road, pull over to our Taco Bell, which is in a different spot than I thought it was. Like in my head, it was not where it's at. <laughs> and I pull up to the window. This This parking lot has maybe two cars in it. I see one guy standing inside. And I pull up to the window, and it's they opened at 7 a.m. I'm there around 7.40-ish, and they're like, hey, yeah, uh, we're not serving food for, like, another hour. And I was like, what? I didn't say that. And I just was just like, oh, uh, uh, okay, um, thanks. And then I drove away, canceled my order on the app, got my $6 back, and then went to Wendy's and tried their Baconator uh, breakfast sandwich, and it sucked. <laughs> Wendy's not a sponsor. No. Uh, when does Taco Bell open? Uh, 7 a.m. They opened at 7 a.m. Taco Bell should be open 24-7. I want tacos 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, well, they open at 7 a.m. and they would not serve me breakfast for another hour at least. And I was, I literally thought in my head, so do I wait for my $6? And I was like, no, I'm not an idiot. I got to go to the convention. And so I, I pulled out. I went to Wendy's, spent $7 on breakfast that was worth $2. Yeah, they we're not getting sponsored by Wendy's, guys. <laughs> I, I, Wendy's, I yeah, you know, we've just got some beef with you. I love Wendy's burgers, but their breakfast their breakfast baconator, I, it was like a seven dollar meal total, and I ate it and I was like, it wasn't worth the calories. No, and you know what? I used to respect Wendy's. I used to go to Wendy's <laughs> for what it was. I used to respect Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy girl in high school, I would go to Wendy's once a week at least. The the four for four deal, Day Wendy's. Yeah, well, you know it, the four for four. Yeah, yeah, it was a perfect deal for my broke ass. Like it, it, you, you get so much food for four dollars. It was a great deal, and now it it's just changed. You've changed, Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not you. I don't know if it I is get, you. Yeah, it is you. <laughs> but it's not you anymore. That's how I feel about cookout nowadays. You're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> All right, yeah. Drew. I don't know what slander is about to come out of your mouth, but I, I'm going to need you to uh, to rethink. No, no, no. This is this is a good compliment. You were talking about going to Wendy's, you know, dropping a little bit of cash, getting a whole lot of bang for your buck. At cookout, I get halfway through that tray, I'm like, damn, I'm full. That's a lot of tray. Oh yeah. Same. Never do I not finish it though. Oh no, I will absolutely get so sick the next morning no, finishing no, that. No, no, like I always. And I'm not saying next morning. I'm saying never do I not sit and eat it all in one sitting. Like, oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna sit there and I'm gonna eat the whole tray, no matter how full I am, because I paid five dollars for it and I'm deserving of that. Yeah, and just to be completely honest, cookout does make you feel like a fat, disgusting idiot yeah. After, yeah. after you're done. But golly, if I'm not gonna finish it, like. <laughs> It's my uh, my duty as an American. I went to cookout way more times than I'm willing to admit in college. Like, every time when I would be like, uh, you know what, it's time for a cookout run. And we would just go out, and it's like, ah, I got $5 because out of the money I earned this past summer, this is what I've got left. And the amount of times I went there and was like, this is what I'll eat today. This, or I'll go to the calf first. And then be like, oh, man, it's 10 o'clock, and I'm hungry. And then I go, and I buy a whole <laughs> cookout tray, and I eat it. You know, fucking anytime anyone said, hey, you want to go to cookout? I said, yes, I do. Yeah, of course exactly. I cook. And you know what? In college, I could put that shit back. It did not phase me at all. Like, I could have done two cookout trays. But now... 
It's insane to me that I wasn't heavier in college, given how much cookout I ate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were just doing so much running around, up I and did. down stairs. You know, that was a uh, a frequent thing I could be caught doing on campus, which was, like, if I had to be somewhere, I would just sprint there. I don't know why that was my <laughs> personal habit, but I remember... Um, one of, one of my friends, she looks at me as I'm running across campus. She was on the cross-country team, and she was like, you should join the team because I'm literally just sprinting back to the dorm because, I don't know, I was like, oh, I could do this in five minutes or I could do it in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, I did that too. Uh, in, in college, I just ran. Yeah. I haven't run in a long time. Like, not sprinted, you know? I remember that summer where, like, you trained. Like, you trained for running. Oh, yeah. No, I, you know, I had just the perfect metabolism uh, my stamina was built up. I could climb a mountain all by myself. Uh, not <laughs> but you really. did it with me instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, uh, and then you had to NPC me uh, the way back up the mountain. That's my favorite thing. I do that to everyone though. Like I do that to Suzu when we go out uh, hiking. I did that um, when I went hiking on this one date. I, I left her behind as I ran up to the next checkpoint and was like, because I started to get tired too. Where like I'm starting to walk and I get tired, but my way, my solution to that problem is to run up to the next clearing because I'm like, oh, if I use all my energy and run here, I can rest. Um, but if I if I go <laughs> if I go slowly up the mountain, then um, I'm mostly just going slowly and being tired the whole time. So to me, I'm like, oh, just interval sprints is what I can do better. Like doing a hit workout up a mountain. Yeah. Um, and just to explain exactly what we meant by NPC, you know, it's like when they, um, they rubber band to you, so they won't get too far ahead of you. Seth and I, uh, decided to hike from the top of a mountain down and then back up. And so (laughs) about halfway back up the mountain, I realized, oh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I might've hit my limit. Yeah. We didn't really think it through before just saying, you know what? Let's just start at the top today. Yeah. Well, it, it seemed like a fun idea. Yeah. And, you know, I had a great time, but hooey. I was like, I dropped the controller and Seth was just waiting. <laughs> well, it's it's weird because for some reason I just have an exor- I, I'm not a good, great runner. Like, I, don't, I usually have, like, an intense amount of stamina for exercise. Like, normally I'm the kind of guy who does a set of, like, heavy weight and I rest for three to five minutes and then I do it again. Uh, and my workouts will take like two hours, two and a half hours because I'm sitting there watching anime between sets. <laughs> so that's that's the typical kind of workouts I do. But for some reason, when I go hiking, I could go for like 30 miles and just be like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> like get, we go for 10 miles and I'm getting tired. and I'm like, give me five minutes to rest, five minutes to rest, 10 more miles. Like I can knock it out. So it's weird. It's a weird kind of stamina that I've got for that thing. Like even whenever I wasn't fit, I could still do it. Yeah, I, I concur. Uh, Seth is a weird He's got weird stamina. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seth's got weird stamina. Yeah. Wink. <laughs> oh, oh. You know, I didn't do a whole lot of uh, running back in college, but uh, as a proud apex predator of the Pokemon Go community, yeah, um, saying that there was a gibble at 2 o'clock in the morning, I've never seen so many nerds run out of the room in their boxers. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I would have done that though. Well, it's weird oh, no, being it was weird being on a college campus in the Pokemon Go era. You know, cuz cuz you would go out and see those kinds of things all the time where with you know the fire alarm goes off and obviously every single time someone was in the shower because when you've yeah, got yeah. 200 people living in a building, someone's in the shower. Yeah. And you, you just got to come out. One time it was almost me. I'd gotten out of the shower like five minutes before, and then I was like drying my hair, and I was like, oh, oh my God, and then <laughs> ran out, and I was like, whew, really dodged a bullet there, but I had multiple times where my friends came out in towels, and I was like, oh, let me protect you, girl. Like, I got you. 
you know, I um just I looked like a friggin' psychopath, but I did get caught in the shower. And my freshman year, I had a bathrobe that I would just wear. Ooh. <laughs> um, so did you? I, yeah, so I came out uh, of uh of the dorm, and I was just standing outside in in the cold. And I was in my With bathroom. With your tobacco pipe in your mouth. Yeah. No, I, I looked like a, a fucking serial killer. I must have. Who else would wear a bathrobe? You know no, shade, no shade to anyone who actually wears a bathrobe, but I don't. No, no. Well, I don't anymore. And you know what? I think I could still pull it off. I owned but... one freshman year for sure because my mom gave it to me before I went to college in like a, hey, you're going to need this in college kind of way. No, I didn't. I didn't need a bathrobe. I didn't even need my sandals half the time. I just washed my feet. Like every time I got in there where, you know, when you go to like, I knew all the guys on my hall and I was like, oh, well, these guys aren't especially like freaks. They're not especially dirty. So we all had to share the same two showers uh, and there were eight of us. But I went in there and I, for the first like two months, I wore my shower sandals like, like it was, you know, a religion. And then afterwards I was like, well, I'm just gonna like, I always wash my feet anyways. Like, I'm just going to wash my feet real good or like. There's always soap in the shower. It's kind of that justification that people use who don't wash their legs in the shower, where they're like, oh, well, the soap runs down your legs anyways, so you don't need to wash them. I still wash my legs because I feel like it's correct. But, yeah, you but, have to. Uh, same justification where I'm like, well, the shower's got soap running on the floor <laughs> all the time, <laughs> so I should be okay. Yeah, but you know what else lives at the bottom of the shower, Seth? Foot fungus athlete's foot no it's true it's true i mean skin maybe i should have been more cautious about it but i got great feet (laughs) yeah you know i I did wear my shower uh sandals i think i think i still wore them even senior year when we had our own private apartment exactly there was nothing wrong with that shower but um there's a healthy balance to strike you don't always need shower sandals but sometimes you do you know sean and i had a towel that sat in the shower that ended up getting like gross like really gross and like moldy and sean looks at me one day and goes seth can you get that towel out of the shower that's yours and i looked at him and went i thought that was yours all these months (laughs) 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 like i i guess at some point i had set that towel in there never used it and just let it sit there and sean didn't take it because he knew it was mine and i didn't take it because i thought it was sean's (laughs) what if it was mold man it could have been, but that wasn't in uh, PK. It was in Purcell. Ah, uh, well, never mind. So it couldn't have been Mold Man. Couldn't have been Mold Man. Mold Man, Eric. Two college kids playing chicken with a moldy towel. Those are champions right there. <laughs> Those are actual champions. We left it there for probably four months. That's until, awful. Until, well, because neither of us realized, I guess. Like, well, first of all, the first three months it wasn't moldy. And then it got to that point and it was like, uh, oh, this towel has been left here for way too long. See, I'm thinking you didn't know whose it was because it was actually green, but it started off blue. No, it was it was actually black. Hmm. Yeah. But that's not the point because here on Table Talk Friday, we are going to do a story time episode for you. These are our episodes where we go kind of in-depth on games that we've played with funny or cool stories uh, of our adventures. So today, I think you boys would probably like to start off because we're talking about the time that we survived the tomb of horrors uh we had a little gander a little romp through the tomb of horrors recently as one of my players went back to Baldur's gate got himself captured and uh was quote unquote thrown into the tomb of horrors would you guys like to kind of start from the beginning tell your experience about it and then you know i can chime in when i've got dm notes sure so uh, the most avid of listeners uh to table talk friday might recall 
um, that we've been doing separate arcs uh, for some of our different characters after wrapping up the uh, the official end of the module um, for Baldur's Gate Descend into Avernus. So we had our uh, our little Python Hakili go back to school arc. We had the Oswin arc in Candlekeep, and then Varys, uh, played by our good friend Patrick, of course, decided to go back to Baldur's Gate. So he went to Baldur's Gate for some reason he wanted to steal a mansion and uh well he ended up getting captured by the most powerful crime family in Baldur's Gate at least to our knowledge and he woke up in the Tomb of Horrors along with uh all of our other characters who just so happened to also uh get captured and so this was just to set the stage for um my feelings on everything I did not know we were going into the Tomb of Horrors. No, why would I tell you I was horrified. (laughs) And my character, Sir Geico, the kobold knight of Felgalos. He was, um, you know, he was just happy to be there, but I was so scared for his, uh, for his (laughs) (laughs) well-being. So, uh, Drew, you were playing, um, Paz, the, uh, peace cleric. Heck yeah, man. (laughs) He's a little stony. Um, and, uh, and we entered into the Tomb of Horrors. I couldn't help but bring some meta-knowledge into this uh, setting. I will say, as a player, I was just so terrified of uh, of everything. So I said, Patrick, don't do that. Patrick, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> right, so Varys is played by our friend Patrick. He is a lizard folk monk. Um, and he's kind of known for just making decisions, and no matter what, they're going to happen. Like He makes the decision, and like you can't talk Patrick out of a like, decision that Varys is going to make. It's kind of a lovable thing. Like It's an endearing thing about Patrick that when it happens at the table, I always just laugh, and I'm like, yes, it will happen. Um, otherwise, our last final character was played by our friends Sean and Chase, and they were uh, playing John Smith II, or John Smith III? John Smith II. John Smith II, um, which was very funny so they were two players two players playing one character kind of kind of which we'll get into a little bit more of that later um but yeah so you guys got dropped into the tomb of horrors introduce yourselves to one another kind of like whoa what happened did you eat the soup um <laughs> don't trust <laughs> yeah, the soup. it was the soup that uh that knocked <laughs> us all out yeah we Var- must assume yeah Varys drank some soup and that's what everybody has assumed knocked him out for the night and um, yeah, upon waking up in the Tomb of Horrors, were put into the absolute test of your lives because metagame knowledge, the Tomb of Horrors is a historical dungeon that everyone kind of knows, will just kill you outright. Like, no no rhyme, no reason, you failed the save, your character is dead. So, you have to be very careful with what you do in here. Yep, so, not to, to spoil all the intimate details of the Tomb of Horrors for any... Uh, aspiring idiot players who who may a- attempt to uh, to raid it, we had no other choice. There was no way out except through the tomb. So we uh, we ventured in. A- and just to to speak clearly, I never expected to play in the tomb of horrors. Not <laughs> once did I expect to play in the tomb of horrors. So my anxiety was just through the roof. Uh, but and I was having are, a great time. Yeah, and we were playing the Tales from the Yawning Portal version for 5e of the Tomb of Horrors by the book. I barely changed anything. Like, I changed a couple of things to make it a little more enjoyable for you guys. But, yeah, I barely changed anything from the book. So, anyway, we go into this dungeon, and we're immediately greeted by the fact that there aren't many monsters to fight. 
there's not a lot of anything going on, and it's just a lot of thinking and uh, and specifically describing exactly what we do as we navigate through this dungeon, which is not usually how we dungeon delve. We usually say, oh, well, we'll sort of do this and move on to the next thing. But we show up, and there's not a next thing to go to necessarily. There's a bunch of weird, scary things that we don't want to interact with. Right. So, anywho, uh, again, uh, as spoiler-free as possible, we find uh, several secret passages through the dungeon. Sir Geico single-handedly kills some gargoyles all on his own. He felt super cool about that. You um, go through a an array of annoying obstacles, like just an, an a hallway that leads into another hallway into another hallway, and they're all just covered with secret doors, and you have to figure out where you're going. Not only that, but the secret doors are so specific with how yes, you have to open them. Yes, there's specific ways to like open them. They word it in the book, and they're specifically saying, like, okay, you have to slide this one to the left. You have to pull this one down. Like in, There's very specific ways you have to get through these doors, and... I, it doesn't necessarily say to make make them do it exactly like that, but at the table and like off the fl- on the fly, I was just like, this would be so funny if I just like played this up the entire time where I looked at Pat. I just stare over at Patrick. I'm like, so how how exactly can I open that door? And he's like, well, I was just gonna pull it, and I go, hmm, doesn't work. <laughs> and and he's like, uh, what do you mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, but exa- if you were gonna pull it, exactly how would you pull it? Uh, I. I'm going to grab it by the right side and, like, pull towards me. Yeah, it doesn't work. Uh, and then he has to describe exactly how he does it until he opens these secret doors because I, I made it clear at the table. I was like, yeah, uh, it'll open, but how? <laughs> yeah, and so that was just disgusting, uh, having us go through the whole fucking list. The, 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 they were sequential, so there were, what, Six or seven secret doors. Back yeah, to back. it had to be like seven at least. Yeah, um, and we thought we were done after the first couple, and they just kept coming. And we every time we went through the whole list. All right, have you tried pulling from the top? Have you lifted from the bottom? Slide have to you the s- left, please. Oh, slide! We you could slide it. Jesus Christ! So we make it through that ordeal, um, <laughs> and uh, at, at this point, we've all sort of realized, ah. We're in for something here, um, but everyone's having a great time. It's it's all very uh, fun, and uh, our, our characters are uh, you know pulling us through with just the the witty uh, banter and and everything going on. There was uh, I will mention uh, there was an important element to uh, Sean and Chase's character that uh, we simply have to bring up uh, was oh the fact gosh. so they appeared as this. Average, average man. Hello, I am average man, John Smith. That is me. John Smith the second. I am a hero. I have saved a damsel who was in distress. Yeah, yeah. and so it, immediately it just seems like a, a robot trying to be the most generic white man that you've ever seen, um, but in secret, uh, which is something that we all sort of knew when uh, we made our characters. Because we thought, because we, we made it a joke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it, it came to fruition. They were actually two separate kobolds uh, in a suit of armor stacked on top of each other, and they were both armorer artificers. With the same magic items, the same subclass, the same uh, infusions and everything, all they had different was their uh, spe- like the spells they put in their spell-storing items. Yep, and one of them was the, the top of, of this, uh, this pair, and one of them was the legs. And it was just so funny, uh, the things that 
they tried to do to hide this from the, the rest of the characters. Right, they revealed themselves as uh, Itchy and Scratchy, the the kobold pair. And yeah, they did some, some stupid things like um, if Chase's character Itchy needed to see something, he would like move his crotch like up to a table to look on top of it. Or like if Scratchy was trying to do something and he would be like, all right, I'm going to go walk over here. Itchy would be like, no, I don't want to. You know, and then that itchy, like Scratchy can't go anywhere because he's stacked on top of Itchy. Yep. Uh, in the very beginning moments, uh, before we even entered the dungeon, uh, Paz was passing out some uh, some temporary hit points in the form of uh, some. Uh, it's just or, or, some Yandel's delight. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Some herbal goodness. Um, and, and so, uh, of course, John Smith uh, takes a little a little puff, a little puff off the top. And then uh, he turns around away from everyone, uh, puts the uh, the Yandala's delight up towards his uh, his crotch section, and then we see some smoke billowing out from <laughs> <laughs> from his crotch. And we, uh, like it, of course, I knew what was going on, but in character, it was just the funniest thing to imagine. Like, <laughs> what would you do? I can't imagine turning around and seeing someone smoking in that in that way. It would be so awkward. Yeah, and I don't think we mentioned, but they were casting disguise self the entire time to appear as this as this guy, uh, which is and, why it wasn't immediately obvious that they weren't. A and man. what was crazy about me about it to me though is both Chase and Sean had kind of made it clear to me like, hey, we kind of want to reveal it sometime soon, you know, we want to get it done. And so I kept trying to push as the DM, like, someone say something, someone say something about this because I want their characters to be known because they were kind of like, yeah, well, you know, everyone knows John Smith but we want them to get to know Itchy and Scratchy before the arc's over. And so um, I was kind of pushing for it. And one annoying thing about us that is so good is like everybody's always like thinking to stay in character because that's what they think the other person wants. So everyone's like, nah, I'm just going to not do, not do or say anything. And I'm like, no, this is what they want. I just can't say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> like they want to reveal themselves, but they're not doing it because their characters wouldn't. <laughs> they were like, we've known this. Because Chase uh, had told me, after he was like yeah they've only known these guys for like two hours but we want the party like the player characters uh to know itchy and scratchy well and so uh it was really tough for me being like i i tried to bring it up as your uh dragon wormling um sir geico has a wormling pet a bronze dragonborn pet and not dragonborn bronze dragon wormling um named fortuna and I have to do Fortuna's voice because he can tell uh, communicate telepathically with her right now. Um, and so I brought up as Fortuna, like, why is everybody pretending this is, like, normal? <laughs> why is nobody saying anything about this? And uh, Sir Geico was just like, nope, I still don't notice. I'm like, fuck! <laughs> Somebody say something! <laughs> I-, I should mention as well, um, Sir Geico was my foray into the Cavalier and you know what? He kicked so much ass. He has. He um, has so far. But he's dumber than bricks. Um, he, he's got eight intelligence, no insight. Um, and a brick has at least nine. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Uh, th- <laughs> his uh, his mount, uh, Sir Fortuna, uh, was smarter than he was. Exactly. Which, to be perfectly fair, the DM specifically said before we went to the Tomb of Horrors, which we didn't know we were doing, he said, make good, strong characters for this difficult arc. So we did. And so naturally, all of us dumped intelligence. <laughs> well, except for Itchy and Scratchy, who both have 20 intelligence. And they're the ones who are disguising themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and trying to, you know, stay low-key so that no one notices. So, 
None of our characters cared. Not even one little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So the Tomb of Horrors proved to be, first of all, as you guys have heard in in episodes before, my DM style is very, you know, fly by the seat of my pants. I just kind of like to do things as we go. So I didn't read all of Tomb of Horrors before I knew we were doing it. Um, And so I, I read through it. And I was like, oh, man, there's not really a lot of combat in here. So that kind of sucks. Um, so I had told you guys to make strong characters because I knew the Tomb of Horrors was one of the most deadly dungeons. I didn't know it was one of the most deadly dungeons because of traps. Um, and that, uh, it's, that it's literally just because you flip a switch and you fall in a lava pit and you die. That makes sense. So I was like, make strong characters. I know we're doing a really hard thing this time. Like, it's going to be very beyond your scope. Well, we started running Tomb of Horrors, and I realized, oh, well, this isn't nearly what I thought it was going to be, even though I'm glad we went through what we did because uh, I'm like, okay, I know what that is. I got it out of the way. Never want to play it again. Um, so we get to a point in the in the arc where we're getting to almost close to the end of the second session, and they haven't even gotten to like the good parts yet. And I'm like, we're going to spend four sessions in the Tomb of Horrors. Like, you guys got through maybe eight rooms the first time. You guys made it through about ten rooms this time. And so you still had a good, you know, 15, 16 rooms left in the Tomb of Horrors. I was like, dang, this is going to take the whole arc to get through this thing. And and just for everyone's uh, awareness, our sessions go for about, like, three to four hours. So we weren't weren't spending an insignificant amount of time uh, doing this. We'd already been in the Tomb of Horrors for like eight hours. Yeah. And, and just to just to jump onto the size of Tomb of Horrors, when I first jumped in, I was expecting this, you know, labyrinth of a Dungeon of the Mad Mage kind of a vibe with endless traps and, and enemies. And it's really just like 40 rooms. Yeah. You know? But just like 40 rooms for us is four sessions. Oh, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but I expected just yeah. this infinite world of a dungeon, you know? And yeah. it's actually quite manageable if you, you know, don't die in every room. Yeah, well, if you're willing to spend a couple sessions on it. Yeah, it's a, it's not bad. And especially if you're okay losing a character on one deck save. Um, <laughs> well, we should have brought in minions to, you know, go and uh, trigger all the traps. Well, and I had thought a couple of times about uh, switching up some rooms and adding combat encounters. And I was like, no, I don't think so. And then I was on my way back from the convention on Sunday. And I had just like this devious plan that I was like, oh, this will make the arc fun. We'll do that. So we get back into the Tomb of Horrors um, this past Sunday. And you guys are still, you know, trekking through, solving puzzles rather well, I will say. You guys avoided death two or three times for like the actual traps that were in there. I was like, oh, that could have killed someone. And they got by it. You know, there's this one place... Uh, where the the room will like kill you instantly, and you guys avoided that. There's one place where you could fall into a hole and get locked up, and just you're stuck there. Uh, there's geez. this one spot you can go through, and there's a message on the wall from um the big bad of the dungeon that's like, hey, you can sit in this room and, and like, hey, I win. You can sit in this room and starve to death, or you can walk out and you die. And that, that he gives you that option. It's like, good job playing the game. Is there's a spot that's like that where you just you do it and that happens. Oh my and god, it's that's in, awful! It's insane because I read it and I was like, man, I kind of wish that happened to someone. You know, <laughs> I wish it was me. Yeah, no, I wish, <laughs> no. What are you talking about? I wish that would have happened to like one of your guys' characters who's not like a permanent character. Like if it happened to Varys, that w- that would have been a great way for Varys to go. To be honest, you know, <laughs> he goes in no. there because it, it would be a total Patrick thing. You know what I mean? Like his character makes those kinds of decisions. So his character walks in and this is the punishment. It's like, oh, you should have thought about it, bud. But, I mean, I'm just saying that would be a by-the-book way for Varys to go. I don't want Varys to die. 
I would be absolutely livid. When I think of adventurers dying, you know, it's you're going on a heroic battle. You know, you get a, a curse from an evil lich, or you're, you're fighting this red dragon you've been hunting the whole campaign. And to think, oh, no, my character just sits here in this dark room and starves to death like a peasant. Yeah. That's so sad. Well, I, I wouldn't say that it was maybe be the, uh, the most, uh, you know, fitting end for, for an adventurer, but for Varys... Varys, who said, no, I'm going to take on the most powerful crime family in Baldur's Gate, the most dangerous city that I've ever seen, and uh, I'm going to do it alone. For him to to fail in that way in the, you know, in their dungeon, um, th- there is some uh, comeuppance for that, I suppose. And realistically, Varys hasn't out because we have a wizard friend named Pyth who would have been sending sending spells every now and then to Varys. So he gets stuck in that room, and Pythe teleports to him somehow, like, finds a friend, teleports to him, like, hey, can you get my friend out? They go in, get him out, he's fine. But I do think that's a good way to, like, leave the arc, you know, if that had happened to him, and be like, all right, and that's where we'll pick up when we all join together again, you know? And then we start off with you guys having to go get Varys out of this place. Uh, and that's how, and that's how we begin the new arc. Is you guys teleport in to get him, you get him out of there, end up having to face off with a Sarah like, Oh my god, Seth, I'd be so upset at Patrick. I'd be like, how dare you drag Oswin into the tomb of horrors? <laughs> I can't let him die here. So, here's what actually happened. You guys found a couple of more trapped rooms, and on the way down a staircase, you triggered a trap that I moved throughout the dungeon because I needed it to be earlier because the session was going very long. And the dungeon was an Indiana Jones um, boulder trap where a boulder drops from the ceiling. Um, A couple of you guys are able to make saves and caught in the crossfire at the end, making the last two saves are Varys, you know, the main character for the arc. And then... Um, I believe it, it was, was Paz. It was Paz. It was Paz. So Varys and Paz are caught in the crossfire as everyone else has made their saves and, ma- and been able to avoid this. And now the last two are at the bottom of the staircase. They both fail their deck saves. Now, as the boulder rolls over top of them, you see as their bodies just crush underneath and they become just flat pieces of paper on the ground and I reveal that they are in fact dead. And Patrick sits up from his chair and goes, No! (laughs) What? No! I'm not... No! And then I was like... I was like, Drew, please stop the music. And I get into my narration mode. A lot of times when I go to narrate, I'll have Drew stop the music and I'll look really serious. Everyone gets quiet and then I just start talking. And I reveal that they wake up in this deep, dark room along with... um, being able to see that one another have both awoken, like gaps, gasping for air, and they're strapped down to um, these almost like surgical tables, looking over next to them, seeing all of their allies from the Tomb of Forest just now, but those of them that didn't die, Varys and Paz, who are awake, and everybody else are sleeping on their tables next to them, and across the room is the person who gave them the soup in the first place, putting them to sleep. So, basically revealing that this has all been in their heads. You know, they're kind of connected in the Tomb of Horrors. And we've never done that kind of trope in D&D before. So I was kind of waiting for this reveal um, that when one of them dies in the Tomb of Horrors, they wake up in the real world. So I was just waiting for it to happen, kind of, because I had come up, come up with this, like, devious plan. Like, okay, let's not put his character on the line in the Tomb of Horrors because it's unfair. Um, 
and then this happens and it's like okay cool um not everybody really realized this right off the bat and uh i i had the character lupin as i named her walk over grab onto um a lever and be like it's not your time yet and she pulls the lever uh revealing kind of her like werewolf-ish form that she has um in the in the light and then pulls the lever they get hit by like a gas in their face and fall back asleep waking back or their bodies mangled in the tomb of horrors then heal themselves back up to half health and get back up and it's like oh what the heck just happened everybody's kind of talking about at the table do you guys want to talk about your feelings whenever this happened so my very first thought was oh seth you didn't you didn't just make it all a dream but then i thought about it and how upset would i have been if patrick got crushed by that boulder uh that he (laughs) he failed the deck save on when we had two artificers with flash of genius who didn't use it and we had cardic inspiration just sitting on the table um so if if he'd actually died um, I would have been very upset, and I think that that was a, a very brilliant way to bring the Tomb of Horrors into a campaign where the characters weren't expendable and we weren't, you know... If, as a group, we decided, yes, we're going to take on the Tomb of Horrors with our characters that have been to hell and back, literally, um, and, you know, we've spent so much time with, if we want to put that on the line, that's on us. But to have been thrust into this, oh, okay, well... Uh, that that's rough. So th- that was a very clever way of, um, you know, subverting our expectations. And I didn't feel gypped because we still got through so much of the Tomb of Horrors without, without dying. Yeah, without a death. Yeah. No, I thought the I thought the giant boulder, the oversized marble that squished me, uh, to be pretty much what I expected in the Tomb of Horrors. You know, I I didn't anticipate actually living through this arc. So I was like, ah, you know, it's it's whatever, it's fine. Uh, but the the cinematic though of you know where you were narrating and kind of learning that we were in the situation I was like oh oh crap we're in the situation you know and then the, the cutscene ends you know we go back into gameplay right and then shortly after another one of our party members dies goes through the same thing where they see this room we're in this chamber with this gas and this person and he actively starts you know interacting with the the what do you, the, what do you call him the like the warden the the person who's keeping us the there. captor the, the captor yeah so. I'm sitting there dumbfounded thinking I I skipped the cutscene. <laughs> no, Why didn't I think of this? I didn't realize I could have been doing stuff. I thought we were just listening and then, you know, oh, we're back in the game now. You can't do anything. But no, I absolutely could have been, you know, helping our party in some way, benefiting people. And that was kind of the idea. I thought the first person who woke up, and I explained this to you the other day, the first person that woke up, I thought they would actively try to escape. You know, that was getting when, and then Zach, you had said at one point, you were like, I don't think this was really Seth's idea. Like that this was Seth's intention, like for you guys to come back out again. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, it absolutely was my intention. <laughs> like the whole time I was expecting the Tomb of Horrors is over when someone dies. Uh, because I was waiting for that moment for someone to die. And then when it happened, um, the person to wake up realized it's all a dream. I can't go back. And luckily... Sean's character, very shortly after, Scratchy, did end up dying as well. And he, um, as, as he comes to in the real world, um, goes, starts having interaction with Lupin, going back and forth. And she is responding to him in a very, like, no, 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 you don't know what you're talking about way. And she goes for the gas handle again. She pulls it, and he's like, I'm going to hold my breath. And I was like, fuck yeah. Uh, because, <laughs> like, I acted like I was just kind of like, oh, man. But uh, 
he holds his breath, rolls above 20 on his con save to keep it held, and then starts acting like he rolls a performance check to act asleep, which is brilliant. So he, he goes back to sleep, rolls very well on the performance check, and um, Lupin's now looking away from him, and he's able to survey the room. With an above nat 20, I think it was a nat 20 perception check on the room. Yeah, he was rolling like a god, really getting us out of there <laughs> single-handedly. Yeah. So he rolled a nat 20 on the perception check for the room. So he sees all of their stuff kind of stashed away in a chest to the side. He sees Lupin working on something with syringes and large books. Um, and then he sees that over to the far right side, that Paz has actually started to morph into like a hybrid human werewolf form. And so as he looks over, he's like, oh no, we're being experimented on for like lycanthropy. Um, no clue what like kind of side effects that would have. So he's like, well, I don't want that. And so uh, he uses his foot. Um, him and Scratch or him and Itchy are as they were found placed on top of one another on this table. Thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> and at rules is written with the um, artisan for armor class. Their armor can't be removed against their will. So like Tony Stark, it's attached to their chest, as they said. So he kicks op- uh, kicks awake. Um, Itchy. The two of them are now awake, and they start signaling one another, rolling some stealth checks as Lupin goes around the room, uh, injects something into Paz, and then goes uh, over to their spot thinking, or kind of realizes that there's some movement going on, uh, giving them a good sniff, and they both roll stealth checks and use their, uh, what is it, flash of geniuses on each other, and I believe use the five. Yeah, I, I think we did use the, did we? So yeah, We, we used, definitely used that five. We used yeah, the five we used, on card we used the cardic inspiration. Uh, to to bump it up as much as possible, and they both pass the check. As Lupin goes goes away, like ah, nah, they're not awake, and they count down from three with each other. Whip out their um, what was it? Their homunculi, homunculuses, whatever, you, however they're you say. They're Dinobots, it. dude. Yeah, they're di- They basically have little Dinobots that follow them around. Um, their little Dinobots are sitting in the chest over there, so they whip to life. They both click their ch- or like uh, activate their armor, uh, morphing into their full armored form, getting in a fighting position, ready to fight. Lupin turns around and roars at them, uh, about to go on the attack, and that's where we ended the session. And we still haven't played the next one, so we don't know what's gonna happen. Exactly, it's so exciting. <laughs> so honestly, yeah, I. I felt a little bad at first about the it's all a dream thing where I was like, oh, that's kind of like a tropey thing. But it's something we've never seen in D&D that I haven't seen done in like Critical Role or anything like that, at least to my knowledge, where I was like, this will be an exciting reveal where we I put you in a between a rock and a hard place quite literally where you all of you, including me for the first session, believed this was a deadly dungeon. And then when I had the real because I, I quite often will have these DM epiphanies where I'm like, well, I'm doing that instead. <laughs> and so I had one, you know, literally 45 minutes before the session that day. And I was like, no, this is happening instead. Like I have, I have the brilliant idea so that that way I'm not going to just kill someone today. Yeah. And the fact that you just came up with that on the fucking fly <laughs> was, was ridiculous. Like it seemed thought out and you know, there weren't many holes that I could like, you know, try and even like in hindsight now trying to think about it. <laughs> like I can't say, well, no, that doesn't make sense because it did. It, it made perfect sense. Yeah, so I I thought of it, it was about, you know, 7.15, 7.20 that day when it hit me, and then we played at 8. <laughs> and so, and Patrick showed up at 7.30, so I didn't have time to type it. <laughs> I literally typed in my notes, I said, in quotes, it's all a dream, I have a great idea, I'll type it out later. <laughs> and that's the 
last thing I typed Perfect. because I also didn't type the intro because I was at the convention all weekend. And so I I opened my phone and I have this one sentence of notes. <laughs> I was like, well, guess we're just doing the Tim Horrors, baby. And then I, I just knew when someone died, died, I would have to go with it. That would be my fucking nightmare. Like, I, uh, you know, uh, I've had nightmares like this before, not relating to D&D, but, you know, other things like, you were supposed to be prepared. You're supposed to have it. Oh, what are my notes? I pull out my phone. Figure it out. That's all it says. It says figure it out. <laughs> I literally typed in there, figure it out. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'll figure it out. And and, and I, I always do. So I, I guess I would be more stressed about being less prepared if I wasn't so damn excited about the idea because I had the idea <laughs> and that'll happen. But that's happened during sessions for me before where I get the idea during session. For instance, the Eknon story we told from like a while back, that was a mid session thing. Cause I didn't think anybody was going to night zone that day. So mid session, I'm like, I got to do this. And then now we all think of those of us that were there. all think of it as one of the best sessions of our storm Kings campaign where I'm like, all of that was made up. None of it happened. Like it was all in my head. And then like the second, the second he says, I'm going to nice one. I went, <laughs> all the gears stopped grinding in my head. And I went, okay, reverse them, reverse them, reverse them. We got to do something else. We're not doing what we thought today, which I'm glad you, you rolled with that because when you're in the tomb of horrors, you're in the tomb of horrors. Okay. It's, it's a lot. It's gets very stressful. It's very intense. Probably the hardest dungeon I think ever maybe in, in D&D history, right? And so the idea that we are in a dream and there's a shimmer of hope that we could get the hell out of here sooner than finishing the whole thing is great. I was looking forward to that too because I didn't really know where the arc went after the Tomb of Horrors. So before we actually got um, to this whole dream sequence thing, I had thought that you guys were put in the Tomb of Horrors somewhere in like the Dusthawk, I believe it's the Dusthawk Hills or something like that, which is to the southeast of Baldur's Gate. And so in my idea... Uh, it's between there and that place that you guys, uh, the something dragon bridge or whatever that you guys traveled through and got stuff stolen from you early in the campaign. Yeah, yeah, the stone dragon bridge. Something, maybe? yeah, and it's not that, but it's close. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, but you're wrong. Well, it, it's close, but it's the something with dragon bridge. I and, remember in Skyrim, there's just the dragon bridge, and my idea was you were gonna come out of there, and then Patrick would probably go back and try to fight Lupin, and then realize like okay, here's kind of what's going on. Get an in like there or like make some friends with you guys and have something to do with that after. I didn't really have it all planned out. I just knew that you would come out and go back to town. And coming with this idea makes it so you're so much more intertwined in what's happening in the city to where when we play this coming Friday, of which I have no notes for yet, but I will soon. <laughs> you friggin' madman. This is just how I do it. I've been doing this for like three and a half years now. It's Wednesday. <laughs> It's Wednesday, Seth. <laughs> I know. Most There's of, no time. And I prepare Thursday or the day of. Just remember, <laughs> nothing actually matters what we do on Friday. So it's fine. If we die, what? you know, we just play a different game. N no. No, um, if we die, it was a dream in a dream. <gasps> no. Um, <laughs> if you guys die in the real world, you die for real. And, But, yeah, I, I was planning that whole thing before, and I was like, I don't really know where the art goes after they get out of the Tomb of Horrors. I just knew that when Patrick told me he was going to go take over the some of the most popular nobles in the town's villa after that you guys killed them at the beginning of the campaign i knew for sure he was going i, I read the book and i was like you know what if he was in the tomb of horrors though <laughs> <laughs> because i read it and i was like come on dude i told him i was like nothing's gonna go your way you're i literally told him in person i was like if you do this one of the results is most likely going to be like you're captured 
because it's impossible. It's literally impossible for you to take on this city by yourself. And he's like, yeah, I know. And I was just like, okay, just making that clear up front, DM to player, that you're not going to get what you want. Uh, I do have an idea for a solution to said problem now, and I'm happy with it. We'll get there, though, because I'm not, I'm not going to bring that up on the podcast. We'll talk about it in story time later. Yeah, Patrick. You thought you were going to get insider information. Nice try. The way you 180'd that, though, is messed up. I'm thinking like a, like a professor in college. They're like, yeah, you're going to have a science test at the end of the week. And then on Thursday, they're just like, what if it was a math test? <laughs> you know, just just spin it. Why not? Well, I will guarantee you that I'll put some difficult combat in for your very strong characters. You know, we got to have that, right? Uh, well, I don't know about everyone else's super strong characters, but Sir Geico, the 11th level cavalier, is definitely strong enough for whatever that you've got, uh, you know, stored up for us. I so. have an idea, but we'll get to it. Well, you know what's good for the Tomb of Horrors, the place that instantly kills you? A healer. You know, when all those damage that you oh don't Oh my take. god. Zach, did I tell you what would have happened? Like, uh, the plan I was really hoping was going to happen with the, uh, the acid vat? No. So, it... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there was a vat of acid that Patrick was just trying so hard to stick his fucking hands in. Yeah, he was going to go in. And uh, in the book, it gives you like, hey, it does this much damage. But it doesn't say what happens if someone go goes in. Um, and I was so ready because I was going to insta-kill him. Like, he was <laughs> he was telling me, because it was right at that same spot where I was like, oh, this is about time when I want the dream sequence to happen. Yeah. And so... Um, Paz was like, well, if someone gets in there and is taking acid damage, I can continuously heal you. And I was so ready for him to become dust. Like, the second, <laughs> the second he dives in, you just see him, and he's just gone. Because he just dissolves into the acid. And I was so ready for it because I wanted that moment. That moment where he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm the hero of this campaign. And he dives in and just is never seen again. <laughs> but then he wakes up in the real world and can be the hero. I was extremely ready for this outcome. And it didn't happen. One thing that I came up with on the fly that was really fun too, I tried to explain it to Drew. He didn't really get it that much. But you remember when they went you, They went back, um, when Paz and Varys came back alive, um, and they were rolling saves with disadvantage? Yeah. My justification was the fact that they just woke up. They are aware that they are sleeping. And so now they're more likely to die in the Tomb of Horrors and wake up. So... They have, uh, they yeah, have disadvantage yeah. on their saves because they're much more likely to die and wake up. Think of it as like a light sleep instead of a deep sleep. Everyone else is just like, what the heck just happened? And they're like, we're awake. We were awake and now we're sleeping again. You know, they're kind of in their light, their light sleep phase. See, the way I was thinking was it's like a lucid dream now. So we should have more control over everything that's going on. I know that I'm asleep, you know? That also would have been a cool outcome. Like you're, you're thinking, oh, I really want to way out. And then like literally a tunnel appears at the end. And it's just yeah. the way out, and you guys have a lucid dream you're in charge of um, that you can just, like, kill yourselves and get out of. You know, talking about tunnels and, and, and ways out, not a single one of us took a spell that, you know, shapes stone or pass wall or, or teleport. None of us took any of those. You know, I have to imagine that they've got it built in there, but maybe they don't. That pass wall doesn't work. If pass wall works in the Tomb of Horrors, sorry, Gary, I'm getting through. You win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true, but... The second you go to do something, you can still die. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean... And you can only pass wall so many times. Yeah, it, it's a fifth level spell. But, you know, if you're if you're just camping out... <laughs> <laughs> All right, pass wall. 
All right, that's all I could do today. Long rest. Yeah, let's oh, go take no. it. Let's go go to bed. <laughs> well, if you're a wizard, you could short rest it. That's true. You could short rest it. See, at that point, you just start role playing long rests. There's <laughs> nothing else to do. You're just sitting there. Yeah, there was a point where someone was like, "Yeah, what if we just, you know, like take?" I think was it one of you guys said you were going to take like a long rest or something like that, and I was like, "You just woke up." <laughs> you guys literally just woke up after like 16 hours of sleeping, or was it like 32 hours? Yeah, something like that. I was like, uh, yeah, because when we first revealed that you guys were, you know, that he was getting knocked out and captured, I was like, and you sleep really well for like 32 hours. <laughs> it was the soup, <laughs> and, man. It was the soup. Uh, so that was kind of our romp into the two of fours. It was a lot of fun. Obviously, we didn't go through any specific traps and tell every single detail because two of fours is available. You can buy uh, Tales from the Yawning Portal, pick it up whenever you want, and, you know, play your have your players run through it. Just... Maybe, you know, maybe you respect my fly by the seat of my pants DMing style, but maybe also you should think it through before you throw them in. Because I wanted to play the Tomb of Horrors because I was like, ooh, historical dungeon, this is fun. And then I had the the whole dream sequence thing in my mind afterwards. Um, plan it out as like a one-off, or maybe I would say have it kind of written in your... If you want to steal the whole dream sequence thing, I think that's a good idea too because... Uh, it's kind of a fun reveal, especially having it only been like one or two sessions, then it gets revealed, and then all of a sudden, okay, there's actually a different plot going on in Baldur's Gate with what we know about already. So, have fun with it. Enjoy it. Uh, and you guys got any final words on the Tomb of Horrors? I, I still want to see the rest of it. I'm not going to lie. So, that that's my one takeaway is, gee, that was such a great reveal, but I, I want to crush a Sarah skull, you know? Like, I, I want to get there. <laughs> yeah, I kind of enjoyed not having a canon Tomb of Horrors, like, in the world, you know? Well, that you yeah, guys could just go back to. That was my other thought, was, um, like, when you first introduced it, I was thinking, the Tomb of Horrors exists, and we haven't heard about it, like, you know, sprinkled out through the through the world before. Surely someone would have talked about the Tomb of Horrors. <laughs> but, but now it makes sense. It was not real. Right, so think of it as... Um, Lupin's interpretation of a legendary tomb. Right, right, right. And, you know, maybe we'll run through Tomb of Annihilation at some point. Right. And, and that'll be the real one. Here's that legendary tomb we heard about that we supposedly ran through. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, see, now, whenever I think of the Tomb of Horrors now, I think of it uh, as equivalent of the Deck of Many Things, where it's it's kind of tempting, you know? Because I imagine all the hell you go through in the Tomb of Horrors, there's probably something really juicy at the end. There's got to be, right? So the idea that it's kind of always there, if it was canon in your world, you could always just, one more room. You know, just, just one more room. We'll see if there's any gold at the end, you know? You want me to be completely honest? I hadn't prepped that far yet. Well, that's, <laughs> so just, just some meta knowledge for you. I know for a fact that there's ass loads of treasure at the end, and that was my other thought was, Seth, you're really going to let Varys get everything in the Tomb of Horrors? Realistically, I would have urged him to donate it to El Terrell. <laughs> given the fact that he his whole justification for being here was to get money for Alterell. Yeah, but Varys always says that he's, you know, one way and then he's another. Well, yeah, and then, you know, I could also justify it as someone's waiting for him on the other side, given said family, and they take him. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if if we were thrown into the Tomb of Horrors as punishment, I don't think there's gold on the other end. Yeah, exactly. 
Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Table Talk Friday, colon, a D&D podcast. If you'd like to send us a message anywhere, you can DM us on Twitter. You can follow us on YouTube and TikTok. We've got a TikTok now. It's super cool. Um, or you can email us at tabletalkfriday at gmail.com. With that, you know what, character, go ahead. Just take us out. Hello! Huzzah! I, I'm going to take you out! It is I, Sir Geico, the most powerful knight in the world! Ah! Thank you for listening to Table Talk Friday, a D&D podcast. For more fun conversations like this, follow the boys on whatever podcast service you prefer, and come back every Friday for another upload. And if you have your own inquiries, you can find them at tabletalkfriday at gmail.com. Thank you.